Well, good morning. Welcome to Seacoast this weekend. So good to be with you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online right now and, uh, or from an internet campus or off-site campus here at the Mount Pleasant campus. It's so good to have you along with us. You know, I know uh, we're always thankful for our online campus, but especially at times like this during the year where I know many of you may be out traveling this weekend, still visiting family and friends. It's so great that uh, when you're away, you can still connect with Seacoast and, and join us online. So I want to thank our online campus and the incredible job that they do in making the experience so good for those that are online today. So hope you guys had an incredible Merry Christmas and uh, glad to see you back this morning and uh, looking forward to, to being with you today and sharing what God's got on my heart this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever made a decision in your life where maybe immediately or shortly thereafter, uh, you Im- almost immediately regretted the decision because you realized that you had settled for something less. That you had made a decision that uh, you had a choice to make, you, you could have chosen multiple things, and-, and-, and you realized that the thing you chose maybe wasn't the most ideal option for you. I remember years ago in 2007, my wife Angie was pregnant with, at the time, what was going to be our first kids. And uh, plural there is intentional. It was uh, twin boys. And uh, we were excited about becoming parents. And so up until that point in uh, our lives and in our marriage, I had always driven large four-door trucks. Being a big guy, uh, I liked the room that a a big truck uh, afforded me. I liked sitting up high on the road. And so I had driven multiple four-door trucks. And I decided that with the babies coming, maybe it was time for us to start thinking a little more economically uh, about the car I was driving. And so I made the decision that I was going to go out, I was going to trade in my truck, and I was going to go out and find the smallest four-door car that I could drive and yet still fit two car seat, infant seats, in the back seat behind the driver's seat and the passenger seat. Uh, my, my dear wife uh, tried to convince me uh, that, that I didn't have to do it, um, that, that she was worried that I wouldn't be happy, but I convinced her that it was something I felt like we needed to do, that I felt like uh, because of the, the idea of saving money uh, would outweigh uh, the cost. And so off I went to the car lot, traded in, I sold my truck, and off I went to the car lot with two infant carriers in tow. And literally, I went shopping from lot to lot by, by going and, and taking these two seats and getting into the vehicle that I was considering and putting one seat behind the driver's seat and one seat behind the passenger seat, seeing if I could fit in the vehicle comfortably and adjust the seat and still fit the infant seats in the back. And so uh, one of the first places I went is I went to the Volkswagen lot. I thought a Jetta was kind of a cool car. And uh, it was known to have great gas mileage. So I went to the Volkswagen lot, and uh, the Jetta, I could barely fit in the Jetta just myself, much less a, a, a car seat behind me. And so the Jetta didn't work. And over to the Toyota lot I went, and I tried a Toyota Corolla. And uh, that wasn't going to happen either. And so finally, I made it to the Honda dealership. And Honda had just come out with their, their brand new body style Civic. It's still the same body style Civic that they make today, and uh, kind of looks like a bullet. And, uh, and, and ironically, believe it or not, the Civic actually was the vehicle that I could f- sit in, adjust the seat comfortably with my legs, and the car seat would still fit in the back. And so I drove off the lot in a brand new 2007 Honda Civic. And uh, for about the first month, it was pretty cool. 
because, uh, you know, going from a big high vehicle to a low vehicle, I felt like I was in a race car for about the first month and kind of low to the ground and that thing would kind of weave in and out of places that a truck would never do. And so kind of felt cool for the first month and the, the gauges were all digital and stuff. And it, it was kind of a neat experience for about the first month. The second month, uh, the, 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 the race car feeling wore off a little bit, but I was still uh, pleased with the decision because I was convinced that I was saving money. It cost about half to fill up that little Civic as it did to fill up the trucks that I had driven. So saving money was well worth it. About month three, I got really tired of rolling in and out of that Honda Civic. <laughs> if you've never experienced that or if you don't see that, I'm, I'm about 6'2 at the time. I was about 275 pounds. And, and getting in wasn't quite so bad, but the dismount looked more like kind of a drop and roll. It was kind of like <laughs> get out on the pavement and then pick yourself up. And... Um, so about month four, I realized, I began to realize, I think I had made a mistake, that I think I had settled in an area that I wasn't intended to settle. And so in month five, I marched that brand new Honda Civic back to the car dealership where I traded it in and drove off the lot in what? A big four-door truck. That's exactly right. <laughs> now that sounds a little silly, but uh, the fact is, is we've all got areas in our life that we settle in. We've all got areas in our life where we, we make choices. Sometimes they're intentional choices. Sometimes they're unintentional choices. But they're, they're, they're areas in our life where we settle for something that is less than ideal. But, you know, we're not the first people on the face of the earth to settle. In fact, God's people have been settling since the very beginning of creation. And here's the problem with settling. Here's what I know about settling, and here's what I want you to, to get this morning is that there is always a cost for settling. There's always a cost associated with settling for less than ideal. In your relationship with God, in your marriage, in your family, in your career, in every area of your life, there's always going to be a cost for settling. And so today, what I want to do is take a look at a story from the Old Testament of God's people, the Israelites. And it's not so much specifically a story as much as it is kind of a 30,000 foot view of the journey that the nation of Israel took early on in the Bible. In fact, the first five books of the Bible uh, tell an incredible story of God's people from creation to entering into this place that God had, co uh, had coined and God had promised them called the promised land or the land of Canaan. And so uh, for, it, it, it's a journey that, that when you read the story, it's a journey that ends up taking uh, some 500 years from the time that God promised all the way back in Genesis to Father Abraham. He promised Abraham that he was going to lead him and his descendants into a land filled with milk and honey where his descendants would be like the stars of the sky. And so God promises some 500 years later, and today I want to pick up the story in Numbers chapter 33, everybody's favorite book of the Bible. I want to pick up in Numbers, and, and in Numbers 33, the Israelites, some 500 years later, are on the cusp of actually stepping into the promised land. And so in Numbers 33, verse 51, here's what we read. It's, it says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the, inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Take what? What's the word there? Possession. I want you to underline possession. Take possession of the land and settle in it. 
For I have given you the land to what? Possess. And then a few verses later in 33, 55, God says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. And so in the very next chapter of Numbers, number chapter 34, you can read it there when you have time, but God begins to lay out for the Israelites this land that they're about to step into. And in Numbers 34, he in detail gives them and draws kind of a visual map for them of what the promised land is going to entail. And in Numbers 34, God draws out for them a, a piece of land, a plot of land that, that is approximately, uh, scholars estimate, from top to bottom is about 144 miles from the south to the north. And at any given point, it's about 30 miles wide on average. On the south end, it's 40 miles wide. On the north end, it's 20 miles wide. And so they're about to enter into the southern part of this land, and God in Numbers chapter 33 almost is, is, seems to be pleading with the Israelites, almost begging the Israelites that when they go into the land, he wants them to possess all of it. And it's like God is, is, is almost saying to them and begging them, don't stop, don't quit, don't, don't, don't stop pushing until you reach all the way from where you are going into to the very north, to the very east, to the very west, until you possess all that I have for you, don't stop. Years later, Jesus would come along in John chapter 10, which is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. And Jesus would, would make a statement that, I, that is very similar to this. And here's what he said in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the reason he came, we just celebrated Jesus's birth at Christmas, but, but ultimately the reason Jesus came is that he would one day die. And he said, the reason he came to do that is so that you and I could experience not just life uh, kind of average, not life just going through the motions, but so that we could experience the fullness of life that God intends for us in every area of our life. That we would possess all that God has for us in every aspect of our life. But not much has changed over the last 35 years, 3,500 years. And so here we are on the, uh, the, the precipice of 2016, whether you're ready or not, 2016 is coming. Uh, can you believe that? 2016 is coming up, and, and I know many of you have begun to think about some goals, some things that you want to accomplish in 2016. But did you know that God has some things that he wants for you in 2016? Did you know that God has some promised land for you in 2016 that he wants you to possess, that he wants you to step fully into all that he has for you in 2016. But just like the Israelites 3,500 years ago, God knows something about me and you, and he knows it because he's seen it in us and he saw it in the Israelites 3,500 years ago, and it was this. That you and I and the Israelites so many years ago, we have a tendency to sabotage and settle for less than God has for us in different areas of our life. We have a tendency to stop short of and not possess all that God has for us in different areas of our life. 
And so in 2016, I want to help you have your best year yet. I want to help you step into more and more and ultimately all that God has for you in every area of your life. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to pay attention. We're going to have to be aware of some things that snagged our ancestors so many years ago, the Israelites. We're going to have to be conscious of, of some things that if we're not careful, we'll make the same mistakes that they made and ultimately not possess all that God has for us. And so with our time left this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you four things as we kind of look at the 30,000-foot view of the nation of Israel and their journey to get into the promised land. I want to take a look at four things that you and I, if we're not careful, will keep us from possessing all that God has for us in 2016. And the first one is this. We'll never possess all that God has for us when sin takes us away from God. When sin takes us away from God. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 1, God says, Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take what? What's the word again? Possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. In other words, what God is saying is, look, you're about to step into the land, and my desire is for you to possess all of it, but if you're going to possess all of it, you're going to have to be careful to obey the things that I have commanded you. You're going to have to be careful to obey, to live your life the way that I have uh, put before you and commanded you to live. And sin, when we don't do things God's way, when we don't live our lives the way God wants us to, sin always takes us away from God. And ultimately, when sin takes us away from God, it takes us out of the place where God can pour out his blessing on us, where we can possess all that God has for us. We have a, a phrase around here that um, when I think about my seven years here at Seacoast and the phrase that I've heard over and over again, the phrase that has stuck with me most often is a phrase that our senior pastor uses, Pastor Greg, says. He says, blessing follows obedience. Uh, I don't know if that's an original or not, but uh, it's it stuck with me over and over again. We talk about that all the time, that blessing follows obedience. That is that we want God's blessing in our life, and God wants to bless us. But that's only going to happen as we obey God and as we are obedient to him in every area of our life. In my house, you know, I, I mentioned a while ago our first kids were, were twins. We've since added two more. So we have four kids in our house, two eight-year-olds, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old. And so we're at the stage uh, maybe that many of you are in, or maybe you remember well, where we're trying to make sure our kids, we're trying to uh, teach our kids banners. We're trying to teach our kids to use the right words, to say things like please and thank you. And so the, the conversation often and the thing that we have to hammer all the time in our house is how do we ask for things the right way? And so we might be sitting around the dinner table and, and uh, they might have their food and they want something to drink. And one of the kids will yell out, I want some chocolate milk. And I'll have to say, now, how do we ask for chocolate milk? Please? Okay, technically, yes, but, but now say the whole thing. <laughs> now say the whole thing correctly. And so we teach our kids the, the, the right way to ask is you say, Mommy, may I please have some chocolate milk? And so we just drill that over and over again in our kids' minds. And so when they ask the wrong way, when they demand something, when they yell out, they don't get what they want. And we wait for them to ask the right way. 
But here's a secret in our house, and don't tell my kids this. They haven't quite figured this out yet. But in order for us to train them and to reinforce to them that when they ask the right way, they get the things that they want, we kind of have a rule as parents in our house that if our kids, unprompted, if they come to us and without us having to remind them, if they ask the right way, they pretty much get what they want. Now, that's within reason, obviously. Now, keep in mind, they're eight years old, they're seven years old, so the things that they're asking for at this point are pretty simple. Things like, can we have some chocolate milk? Things like, Daddy, will you come play with me? Things like, Daddy, will you tuck me or will you read me a bedtime story? So if they ask the right way, we've decided as parents that in order to reinforce that they're doing things the right way, we're pretty much within reason going to say yes. Your heavenly Father in God's economy, has set things up in a very similar way. That when we obey God, when we live our lives the way that God has told us and commanded us to live, we open ourselves up to receive God's blessing. And yet, conversely, when we don't live the way that God calls us to, when sin is in our life, and when we're living contrary to what God desires, we take ourselves out of the blessable zone. We take ourselves out of the place where God wants to say yes to the things that he wants to give to us. And so here's my question for you in 2016. What sin exists in your life? What are the areas in your life where you're living in such a way that you've disqualified yourself from receiving God's blessing? In 2016, will we be a people that obey God in every area of our lives? Maybe it's in the area of finances. Maybe you're in a place where you're asking God to bless you, to multiply your finances. And the question I would ask of you is, how are you doing it being obedient to what God has already given you? How silly would it be for us to ask God for more when we're not already doing and being obedient with what he's given us? Maybe it's in the area of a relationship. You know, we have a policy here at Seacoast as pastors and ministers that if we're going to marry a couple, a premarital couple that comes to us and wants to be married, we're going to challenge them and we're going to make them commit that no matter what they've done up till that point, we're going to make them commit that between that point and their marriage day that they're going to stay uh, sexually pure that they're going to abstain from being sexually active with each other. And here's the reason why. And I tell every premarital couple that comes in my office, we're going to stand up on your wedding day and we're going to say some prayers and we're going to say some words. And what you want on your wedding day is what every couple wants in their new marriage. And that is we want the supernatural blessing of God to just be all over our marriage and our relationship. And so if we're going to stand up and ask God that he would bless our marriage, that he would bless our family as we join together, then my question is this, are we being obedient in the areas that God has called us to be obedient in? So that God wants to say, absolutely, I want to bless you. Absolutely, I want to pour out all that I have for you. So how about you? How about in 2016? Are we going to be obedient in every area of our life that we would begin to possess all that God has for us? So sin takes us away from God, but there's a second thing that's going to keep us from possessing all God has for us, and it's this. When fear keeps us from pushing forward. In the story of of Israel, you'll remember back when they were in captivity in Egypt, 
You remember the story of Moses. Whether you've heard the story or not, you probably know the story of Moses, right? And God says to Moses, I want you to, to go to Egypt where the Israelites have been in captivity, and I want you to march into Egypt and, and go to, to Pharaoh, and I want you to command him to let my people go. And so Moses does it, and the Israelites march out of Egypt, and they begin to march towards this promised land. And the journey from Egypt to, to the promised land is about 11 days. It's an 11-day journey. And so immediately in the book of Exodus, they make this 11-day journey, and they're right on the cusp of actually stepping into the land. And God says to Moses, I want you to send some people, some representatives, and he chooses 12, one from every tribe of Israel, and he sends them up into the promised land to go and explore and to come back and give a report. And so they go up, and when they come back, here's what they say to the Israelites. It's exactly what God promised it would be. It's everything he said it would be. It's green, it's lush, it is flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua and Caleb, maybe you remember the story, Joshua and Caleb step up and say, that's awesome, we should go and take possession of the land. But 10 of the 12, the other 10 spies stand up and out of fear, they say, they say this, they say, yes, it's exactly what God said it would be, but here's the problem. The people that live there, they're big and they're strong. And we're not sure that we can take possession of the land. Yeah, I, I know God said it's ours. I know God said he would go before us. But honestly, we're a little afraid. And so in Numbers, there on your outline, in Numbers 13, verse 31, it says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And so it goes on to say that, that the people begin to grumble and fear begins to grip the people and they begin to say, no way, we're not going. And because of their fear, because they allow fear to take over, God says to the Israelites, fine, then you're not going to take possession of the land. Instead, you're going back out into the wilderness and he sends them back out where they have to wander around for the next 40 years. They were right on the cusp of taking possession of all that God had for them. And fear takes over. And because they succumb to their fear, God says, you're not going to take possession of the land right now. And an entire generation misses out on possessing all that God has for them because they allow fear to dictate their decisions. So what about you? Where is fear causing you to settle and not follow God? Years ago, many of, you, many of you know, maybe here at the Mount Pleasant campus, that I was on staff here at the Mount Pleasant campus from about 2012 to just this past year. I spent two and a half years here. And, uh, before that, in 2010, I was on staff at West Campus. But maybe what you don't know is back in 2007, from 2002 to 2007, I was a church planner up in Maryland. And I planted a church. God had given me a, a dream and a vision to go plant this church. And so Angie and I moved to Maryland and planted this church. And it was good for a season. But in 2007, we hit a wall. We hit a wall emotionally. We hit a wall uh, just relationally in every way. Things went south quickly. And it was during that time I made some really bad mistakes relationally with some people that I loved and maybe put some expectations on people and, and I ruined some relationships and, and ultimately because of my decisions, the church that once existed no longer existed a couple years later. 
And for me, that represented a tremendous failure in my life. And so in 2007, we moved back to, to Charleston, and I took kind of a sabbatical from ministry for a couple of years. I sold real estate, but uh, I knew God wasn't done with me in ministry, but I knew I just needed some time to heal. And so God graciously uh, brought us to Seacoast and, and uh, began to, to learn and grow here at Seacoast. In 2010, came back on staff in ministry over at West Campus. And, but over the years, um, as God has just, as I've stepped back into ministry and I've began to, to kind of sprout my wings again, per se, um, there have been different times where, where people around me, leaders, supervisors have come to me and have said, hey, uh, would you consider X? We, we see more in you. We see God's hand in you. Would you consider doing X? And every time they'd come to me, I'd have a reason to say, no, uh, I believe God has called me just to stay where I am. Thanks, but no thanks. And that's happened several times until earlier this year, um, it happened again. Another opportunity uh, was put before me, and that was at the time our, our Somerville campus here at Seacoast, had, uh, our campus pastor there had, uh, had, had resigned and retired, and, and so they, uh, they, it would, the opportunity was presented to me. Uh, would you be interested in being the campus pastor at Somerville? And to be honest with you, my first response was no. My first response was no because uh, if I'm being honest, and what I realized during the process as I prayed about it, is because I had so many what-ifs in my mind about what had happened in the past, and about how I had failed in the past, and about whether I was ready. What if I hadn't grown enough? What if I hadn't learned my lesson from before? What if God didn't have for me senior leadership ever again? And I allowed fear to dictate the fact that I would settle for less than, than ultimately what God has for me. So I made a decision earlier this year that I wasn't going to let fear dictate that decision anymore and, and, uh, and went through a process and ultimately became the new campus pastor at our Somerville campus. And I, and I want you to know the last eight months, God has just reaffirmed in me, God has, has taken me to, to, to an incredible place and has shown me that, that he's put things inside of me that have prepared me and that, that have, have assured that I'm in the place that God has called me to be. And the last eight months have, have just been incredible. I know the Somerville campus is watching right now. Miss you guys this morning. I have loved, absolutely loved being your pastor over these last eight months. But I would have never stepped into that had I allowed fear to continue to dictate my decisions and choices. And so what about you? What are the areas in your life in 2016 that if you're not careful, fear is going to keep you from pushing forward with God? Maybe it's in the area of a, of a career. Maybe God has put before you that he's got more for you in your job or in your role in life. God has put before you a great vision, but, but fear is keeping you from stepping towards it. What if 2016 was the year that you decided you were going to step towards all that God has for you? And so here's the question that you've got to ask yourself in 2016. Will I trust God? Will I trust God? Will, will I trust and, and, and follow God that where he calls me, when he puts before me a, a great vision or a, or, or a map of all that he has for me, will I trust God that even when it's scary, that I can follow him and know that he's going to provide for me when I step forward? And so fear is going to keep us from pushing forward. We said sin is going to take us away from God, but there's a third thing, and that's when impatience takes us ahead of God. Impatience can sometimes take us ahead of God. 
You see, just as bad as staying put when God says go is going when God says not yet. And there are some things that God has, has called you to. There are some things that God has put before you, and he's saying, uh, ultimately, I have something for you. I have more for you in this area, but it's not right now. Maybe it's a vision that was given to you years ago. Maybe it was just this year. Maybe it'll be in the new year, but it'll be clear that God's saying, this isn't the year to possess it. And if we're not careful in our impatience, we'll try to take something. We'll try to possess something before God's there. The Israelites made this mistake in Numbers chapter 14, right after they had allowed fear to take over and they said, no, we won't go up. God says to the Israelites, fine, you're going to go back out in the wilderness and wander around for 40 years. And upon hearing that, the Israelites step up and say, wait a second, whoa, 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 whoa. Did we say we wouldn't go? No, nah, we'll go now. We'll go now. We don't want to miss out on that. Let's go. Let's go take them. And God says, you don't understand. It's too late. It's not now. God doesn't say it's not ever. God doesn't say the offer's off the table. But what God says is, I'm not there now. And as long as I'm not there, I wouldn't recommend that you go without me. But check it out in Numbers 14, 44. It says, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. You see, in their presumption, in their impatience. They tried to take possession of something where God was saying, not yet. And if you and I aren't careful in 2016, we're going to try to take possession of some things that God's saying, not yet. And in our honest effort, in our desire to possess something that, that even God says is good, he's just saying, not yet. In our presumption, we're going to get ahead of God. In our impatience, we're going to go ahead of God. And in our attempt to possess it, we're actually going to end up further away from the very thing that God desires for us. For some of you, maybe it's in the area of that career, that job. It's that vision that God has given you. It's that new venture in life. And God has put before you this grand vision, but the timing's not now. To, to, to stop what you're doing, to quit your job, to, to, to go there now would be presumptuous and impatient, and it would cause you to miss out on ultimately what God wants to do. Maybe it's in the area, as we talked, as I mentioned a while ago, maybe, maybe you're a dating couple, maybe you're even engaged to be married, and in that area of sexual intimacy, an area that God is saying, that God has said is good, I created sex, and, and I created sexual intimacy. It's a good thing, but I created it to be within the context of marriage. And if you're not careful in your desire to possess something that I'm saying not yet, you're going to actually ruin, you're going to actually sabotage what I ultimately have for you at the right time in the right place. And so I said the question for sin is, will we be obedient? I said the question for fear is, will I trust God? Here's the question, uh, here's the question for impatience. Will I believe God? What I mean by that is, when God says, not yet, when we clearly hear God say, I've got something for you, but the timing's now, will we believe God? Will we have the patience to wait and believe that one day we'll possess it, but just not now. 
There's a fourth thing that's going to keep us from possessing all that God has for us in 2016. And for many of us, honestly, this is the thing that's going to derail most of us. And it's when complacency keeps us where we are. You see, complacency is the idea that good is good enough. It's been said that that complacency is the enemy of progress. That there are some things in our life that, that God has for us, that God wants for us to possess, but we have a tendency, and just like our ancestors 3,500 years ago, we have a tendency to settle for good enough, to become complacent, to just kind of go through the motions. It showed up for the Israelites in, in this picture, in Numbers 14.3. It was a phrase that they would say often in the journey uh, from, from, from Abraham all the way to the promised land, out of Egypt all the way to the promised land. And they would often, when things got difficult, when things got hard, when, when they came up against some of the, the inhabitants of the land that God told them were going to be there, that they would have to drive out, when they got to those places, they would say things like this, Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yeah, Egypt wasn't great, but at least back in Egypt, we knew where our meals were coming from. Yeah, Egypt wasn't perfect. I mean, yeah, we were slaves back in Egypt, but at least we didn't fear for our lives back in Egypt. Egypt was, it was good enough. And so rather than push through the hard stuff and possess the ultimate prize that God has for us, It's just so easy to settle for good enough. There's been an area in my life where complacency has shown up over and over again. As I prepared for this message, I shared with the guys that that, that helped kind of uh, shape this a little bit. I told them, I said, honestly, I don't want to talk about this area of my life. And the reason is two things. A, I'm tired of talking about this area of my life. And B, I'm failing miserably in this area of my life. But God, is, God is, has shown me over the years that my downfall as it relates to complacency is a major area for me is in the area of my weight journey. Now, some of you here at the Mount Pleasant campus, those of you who have known me for years, have, have very visibly watched this journey in my life. And, and there have been times in my life where I've done really well in this area, where I'll get serious about my health, I'll get serious about losing weight, and, and, and I'll lose a, 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 at times a tremendous amount of weight. And at first, it's, you know, 10 pounds, 25 pounds, 50 pounds. It's been as much as 70 pounds at one point in time over the last four years. And and as you guys know, many any of you that that struggle with this, you'll know that when you're as big as I am, it's easy to lose weight at first. I mean, all I got to do is is cut out like one dessert a day and I'll lose weight. (laughs) But at first, it's easy. and 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 I'd say the first 50 pounds are easy. But it's, it's when I know that, that, that ultimately, and every time I've done it, I, I have a goal of where I want to get to. But I'll get to a certain place in that journey where things begin to get harder. And the things that I have to do to get to where God wants me to get or where I feel like God is calling me to get to, the things that I've done up until that point aren't enough to get me where God is ultimately calling me to, to be. I'm going to have to push through some things. But three different times over the last four years, I've just gotten complacent at a certain point. I've just decided that, that this point in the journey is good enough. And when I become complacent, when I decided that I had gotten to the good enough place, I quit doing some of the things that I had been doing to get me to that point. And here's what I discovered, and here's what I know, is that, is that we, never, we, we never just maintain. 
Not just in weight, but in any area of our life. There's no such thing as just kind of uh, maintaining where you are. My baseball coach, my high school baseball coach growing up, he used to always tell us, every day you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You never stay the same. And the fact is, is, is when I become complacent and I begin to just settle for okay, every single time for me what that means is I begin to go back to the place that I came from. I begin to settle for less than all God has for me. And that's where I am today. I'm, you know, this year, 2015, is a year that I've put back on just about every single bit of the weight that I lost at one point in time. And I want you to know I'm tired of being complacent in that area. Now, Pastor Josh Surratt, he stood up on the stage a couple years ago, and he, he made a promise about losing weight. And he said if, if a year from now he hadn't lost his weight, he was going to wear Spanx the next year. I ain't making that promise, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> you, you. I don't trust myself enough to make that promise. But let me tell you what. 2016 is going to be a year where I'm going to quit being complacent in this area. How about you? Because here's the thing I know. Here's the thing I know. Let me take you back to John 10, 10 for a second. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. In every area of your life, Jesus said, I came, I gave my life, and ultimately I died so that you could experience the fullness of life that I have for you. In your relationship with God, in your marriage, in your family, in in your job, even in your health, God has a fullness for us in every single area of those, in every single one of those areas. And when we become complacent and we settle for less than God's best in, in those areas, It's an affront to the cross of Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't die just so you could settle for okay. I didn't give my life just so that you could kind of exist in life and survive. I came that you could thrive. I came that you could experience the fullness, that you could possess all that God has for you in every area of your life. So let me ask you, church, in 2016, What are the areas in your life where you're being complacent? Maybe it's in your relationship with God. And in 2016, you're going to have to do some things that you haven't been doing. You're going to have to push through some things in order to experience the fullness, the relationship that God desires for you with himself. Maybe for some of you, it's in the area of your marriage. And and if I were to ask you how your marriage is going, you'd say, it's okay. But Jesus didn't die just so you could have an okay marriage. So in 2016, you might have to do some things that you haven't done. You might have to admit that you you don't have all the answers. You might have to get some help in your marriage. You might have to go and ask somebody to help you get from just okay to all that God has for you in that area. Next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series. Next weekend, we're going to start a brand new series called Imagine. Pastor Greg will be kicking off this series It's going to be an incredible series where we're going to be taking a look at at our mission statement as a church, what we exist to do. And we're going to dissect that, and and, and, and every week we're going to look at a different aspect, and, and we're going to ask the question, imagine what it would look like if in 2016 we lived out more in each of those areas. You're not going to want to miss that series. But let me just ask you this today, church. What would it look like in 2016 if we begin to get rid of some sin in our life, 
that would take us out of the place where, or it would take us from the place where, where we're not even qualified to, to be blessed by God. And we were to get rid of some sin and move over into the place where God wants to say yes to more in your life. What would it look like if we decided we were going to trust God in 2016? And instead of allowing fear to dictate uh, our decisions and how we move forward, we were just going to say, we're going to trust God this year. Where he calls us to go, we're going to go. What if we believe God this year? That when he says, you got to wait on some things. I've got, I've got something great for you, but you're going to have to wait a little while. Will we believe God? Will we believe his promises? And will this be the year that we quit settling, that we quit being complacent? Will this be the year that we quit saying good is good enough and we step into all that God has for us? You know the sad thing about the nation of Israel? Some 3,500 years ago, God had this incredible land for them and, they, and God wanted them to possess all of it. And yet because of those things that we talked about this morning, Historians look at it and say that, that the nation of Israel never possessed all of the land that God had for them. Which means generation after generation after generation has missed out on the fullness that God had for them. I don't want that for you in 2016. I don't want that for your family. I don't want that for your kids. I don't want that for your grandkids. And here's the good news, church, is that all of it's possible. All of it's there for the taking if we'll decide in 2016 we're going to quit settling for less than all of God has for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus. That because of Jesus, we can step into more and more to the fullness of life that you have for us in every single area of our life. God, that because of Jesus, we don't have to settle for just good enough. And so, Father, in 2016, as we get ready for the new year, we want to make this the year of more. God, we don't just want more. We want it all. We want all that you have for us. So would you show us how to get there? Would you show us what that looks like. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.